0: Welcome to My Talk, the podcast series brought to you by ISS Market Intelligence. Thank you for tuning in. The focus of our discussions on My Talk, for those of you who are newcomers to our podcast, is the global retail financial services marketplace and its many subsectors asset management, wealth management, life insurance, banking robo, fintech, um, wealth management uh, through various distribution channels. For more than three decades, we at ISS Market Intelligence and our predecessor companies have been passionate students of this business. Beyond reporting on industry headlines, we aim to dig deeper, to surface implications of developments, and we do all this with the assistance of industry experts and thought leaders. We create new episodes monthly, so if you do enjoy this episode of my talk, please remember to subscribe to our podcast on your preferred podcast platform. My name is Goshka Folda. I'm your host and Global Head of Research at ISS Market Intelligence. Given that we're recording this episode in January, it only makes sense to start this year uh, uh, with um, our coverage of the U.S. Uh, asset management business and a state of the union address. So the presidents have their SOTUS and we have our state of the market future of retail products. Um, this is a report that uh, has just been re- released, um, is, um, our flagship coverage of the U S um, uh, asset management, uh, marketplace. And to help me, um, Tell you a little bit more about the future of the business. I have um, a repeat guest, Christopher David, who is head of U.S. fund research at ISS Market Intelligence. Welcome back, Christopher.
1: Thanks, uh, Goshka. Glad to be here.
0: Well, let me start uh, by just quickly saying, for those of you who are not familiar with this report, um, it's a great report. It really is, um, covers the the, kind of the the, truly the landscape of asset management on the retail side in the U.S. Um, Many of the themes discussed in this year's edition uh, really have uh, uh, reverberate throughout the world. I wouldn't say they're just U.S. trends. They're really uh, very easily um, uh, gleaned in many other jurisdictions, both North America, EMEA, um, and even in, uh, in in Asia. But um, one more thing before I, I ask Christopher the first question is, I do have to say, uh, Christopher, that I was reading uh, the report um, over the past few days. Um, whenever I had time, it's a busy time year end uh, activities, but um, it is really well written and I really enjoyed it. So thank you very much, Christopher, for that. So um, with that, um, uh, let me just start by saying, um, you know, clearly every time we have a market downturn, uh, the fund industry goes into a bit of a spin. Uh you know, it's uh, either euphoria or 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 desperation and um my uh, long uh, tenure in this business has taught me to be a lot uh, more, um, I think, uh, uh, balanced in my perspectives. So, <laughs> so what do you see happening after uh, clearly a very bumpy 2022? Uh, what do you think are some of the, the, the key things that asset managers have to think about as we, as we uh, get 2023 and the next five years underway?
1: Well, you know, one thing we've seen, Goshma, is in environments like 2022, 2020, 2008, you know, these tend to be kind of, if not pivot points, they're moments of dislocation and flux when you see a lot of changes happening at the same time. Uh, sometimes change is dangerous. Sometimes it's a, uh opportunity as well. Um, one thing, though, that we've seen, and this is, not particularly great news for active managers is when we've seen really stressful markets like 2022, we see like a rapid acceleration of index fund adoption. And uh, we can't say this for certain, but it seems like, and this theme is something that I know you'll be interested in exploring, it seems like ETFs may be a little anti-fragile, meaning they gain by stress. Whereas mutual funds, especially active mutual funds, seem to be very fragile. Um, they're the first thing cashed out uh, when we see a down market, and there might be, a, there are probably a lot of reasons for that, uh, partly because they just have very established shareholder bases, uh, very mature, if I could put it politely, and and so as uh, baby boomers reach retirement uh, and just need to access their funds just to um, uh live off their savings. You know, the first thing they're going to sell is their active stock mutual funds. They've had these holdings for a long time. And so you have this drip, drip, drip going out from active mutual funds and not enough going in to, to make up the difference. Meanwhile, uh, you have new money uh, overwhelmingly favoring uh, passive solutions, especially ETFs. And this balance seems to, uh, uh, or the, these differences seem to accelerate you know, when we see downturns. So I think that's one of the things asset managers need to think about. With, this is obviously a, um, an aggregate. Uh, you know, asset managers probably view it negatively. But when things are in flux, this is an opportunity as well. Uh, money's in motion. It's an opportunity for new winners uh, to emerge. So it might be bad for incumbents. Uh, but, you know, potentially good news for upstarts or established firms, um, you know, that want to uh, recapture or capture uh, a you know new uh, new business. Yeah,
0: that's such a such a great point. But uh, you know, it is it is almost paradoxical um, that uh, you know one would have expected, and I think we saw this in the post two thousand eight and nine very powerfully. Your point about the pivot points where, where demand curve and the advisor interest, et cetera, shifts into a, some, a different spot, even though paradox, I say paradoxically because in bad mar- times of bad markets, you would think that passive in tr- instruments that by and large track markets are the ones that should be punished because the performance is not there, right? Is it, car- Christopher? Don't you find that a bit of a paradox? That But I think it's that, that comment that you made that it's a pivot point. There is something to be said about the adoption and the demographics of the investor base. What do you think?
1: Yeah, I mean, that is a bit paradoxical. But, you, you know, investors measure their experience versus their expectations. Nobody's surprised if their S&P 500 index fund goes down by 30%. If the S&P 500 goes down by 30%, uh, active managers are promising uh, often are promising, at least, downside protection. They have the flexibility to move from trouble. And, you know, time and again, we see that active managers don't excel uh, in downturns. um, By and large, some do, some don't. In aggregate, they won't. Um, And so I, I just think it's a matter of expectation. And, you know, investors can control their risk through asset allocation, And I guess that's another question. Asset allocation was not a great defense uh, last year because bonds and stocks went down at the same time. But if you're going to create an asset allocation mix that's going to protect you in different environments, it's easier to do so with index funds because they're predictable. Uh, Your S&P 500 index fund might go down, but you might have another exposure in the portfolio that you expect to behave differently um, so, you know, that's one of the kind of maybe unheralded or underappreciated benefits of index funds. And that's why we're bullish on, you know, further ETF and index fund adoption, you know, simply because more investors are using these kind of pre-baked model portfolio or target date or some kind of asset allocation solution. And ETFs have a plug and play, uh, quality to them, you know, that make these products, uh, easy to construct or easier. Construct.
0: Yes, and I think that I uh, will um, circle back to the asset allocation because I found that uh, that forecast in the report are really, really interesting and really well uh, summarized in terms of the key drivers uh, for each of the major asset classes. But let me also um, uh, just return back to the uh, ETF uh, beat and, uh, and uh, you know, it's, it's not all passive. Um, you right. have long had a pretty robust view of or perspective about uh, the opportunity for active ETF. So uh, can you tell us a little bit more? Um, what's your expectation right now? And uh, where are we with that uh, active marketplace uh, right now?
1: Yeah, I mean, you know that we've been pretty optimistic and that's true. Uh, but asset growth has, you know, even surpassed uh, our optimistic assumptions Uh, we, you know, we still think it's going to be the fastest growing, you know, product type over the next five years. Um, you know, you can expect healthy double digit asset growth Now that's from a much, a pretty small base, um, you know, relative to other product types. I mean, there's about 300 or so billion in active ETFs today. You know, we see that about doubling into around the 600 billion range, you know, over the next five years. Um, uh that's good for active ETF providers, but I always like to take a step back and point out that we're still forecasting, you know, a pretty sharp decrease in in uh market share for active managers. So, you know, active ETFs are going to steal demand from active mutual funds. You know, packaging active management in a new uh in a new package really doesn't solve the problems that investors have. With active management, I mean, yeah, there's some benefits like tax management, uh, of course, that might, at the margin, make active ETFs, you know, more appealing than an active mutual fund. Uh, but you know, the main problem with active management is that it's active management, not that it's access through mutual funds or ETFs. So you know, we're bullish on the ETF as a vehicle, um, you know, because of some of its tax advantages, like I mentioned earlier, um, but. But also because of increasing access to active ETFs, you know, uh, where we're seeing a lot of development on on fund platforms is in the ETF arena. Um, we've also seen, especially in 2022, um, you know, a real widespread in- embrace of these vehicles in ways that we haven't seen it before, and in ways that actually defied our expectations. So, for example, uh, Capital Group, one of the world's largest managers, period, and certainly uh, one of the largest active managers launched its first active ETFs, and they actually, you know, raked in billions of dollars in flows. And, you know, normally the rule of thumb is m- most new products are not going to do very well at first, You know, it's going to take a few years to build up a track record. And that really wasn't true in, in, in the case of these active ETFs. So, um, you know, we saw DFA embrace the active structure also in a pretty big way, and, you know, as, and the shareholders were, uh, you know, very responsive to it. And DFA, mainly because they've converted many of their largest mutual funds to ETFs, became, you know, one of the, the largest active ETF player overnight. And, you know, that was a vote in favor of uh, active ETFs. And so, uh, you know, th- this is a business that has some leaders and lots of followers. And so, you know, and success breeds success. And so, you know, it, it won't be long until you you start seeing some of the um, other larger firms, you know, try to replicate. You know, what uh, DFA, and Capital Group, J.P. Morgan would be another uh, example of a large firm that's done quite well uh, in the active ETF uh, arena.
0: And I think that actually, to me, when I look at that growth and success from um, American or Cap Group, uh, DFA, J.P. Morgan. So, you know, it's what uh, has been talked in the business for a long time is that neutrality of the product structure. So I think that's another reflection that, you know, uh, there are Strong use cases for active management just can be packaged in different ways, and I think you man- mentioned also model portfolios, direct indexing, and so on, so on. So it can be repackaged in different ways. Of course, the the revenue perspective or the the margin perspective. Every time that you change the package, there are there are slight uh, differences. So it might be product neutral, but it's not uh, uh, margin uh, neutral, um, uh, and and that has to be considered um and and the other i think the other uh, topic that's related to it and that we tackled in uh, a, a, a few episodes of my talk is the, the 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 need for a very strong and well thought out um and well pointed distribution strategy and i think this is where you mentioned the um the the three um uh, asset managers have clearly done a good job because it it still takes you know outside Outside of the, the investment management component and the productization, there's still, you know, the the, the 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 proof is in the distribution pudding, if you will. And if you've got a good strategy, that's that's how, how uh, you get
1: success. Yeah, I think it would be a mistake to say, well, anybody can now hang their active ETF shingle and the world will be the path to their door. That's not the lesson I'm trying to articulate here. The reason I think, some of these uh, firms were successful is because they had good distribution strategies. They have well-recognized brand names, you know, people trust their ability to execute. Um, uh, It's another example of, you know, where success breeds success. Uh, You know, firms that are already successful can become more successful. And so it also gets back to my earlier point that active ETFs, while they may enjoy, uh, you know, great, uh, a u m growth prospects they're not going to be everybody's uh, you know saving grace um you know because it may well be you know that the winners end up being you know relatively concentrated now you know even if you don 't get a big piece of the pie it's a fast growing pie uh so you know everybody does have a chance to benefit, but I think people need to you know temper their expectations and when they do enter this market. Uh, You know, they should enter it with their best foot forward, put out their best products first, emphasize where your relationships are strongest, Um, uh, you know, because those are the lessons that I think are universal, uh, you know, from uh, asset manager success in the active ETF arena.
0: Yes, I agree with that. So talking about, uh, you know, pockets of good growth um uh, and moving into that asset class forecast that um, that the team has put together found it very interesting as I mentioned and of course alternatives uh, is uh, uh, has a very strong uh, 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 expectation of growth. Um, can you talk us uh, talk to us a little bit about that marketplace we've we've seen a, a, a range of managers making you know both significant acquisitions uh, of capabilities in the ALTS arena and and really moving into the different product structures to accommodate some of those um, mandates that would be in the private ALTS category and not fit into the traditional 40 act structure. So um, uh, tell us a little bit more about uh, the expectation for alternatives and some opportunities. and and challenges which always uh, typically uh, 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 accompany any strong market opportunity.
1: Right, exactly. Well, you know, this is among all the asset classes. Our asset growth forecast is strongest for alternatives. Um, Growing from a relatively small base, um, you know, keep in mind that alternatives are less than 2% of overall long-term assets. So we're not talking... uh, Giant sums of money here, and so a lot of growth off a small base. Yeah, you know that that's a, um, a familiar story. Um, that what this is kind of maybe a case where you know supply does help create it, its own demand. You know, historically, uh, the investor choice and in alternatives has been relatively limited. If you wanted to execute an alternative strategy, you had a handful of players. Um, You know, in in the uh, late aughts, early 2010s, lots of asset managers went to market with alt strategies, but they were relatively untested. Uh, By the time they did achieve uh, enough of a track record, people weren't that interested in alts anymore. Uh, You know, but now we are in an environment where, you know, many of the survivors from that period do have track records. We also have asset managers that in general have broadened their capabilities which, you know, makes alts, um, just having an alt strategy easier to execute. Um, you know, another thing that I would point out is the move to model portfolios. We think that there's probably, there's decent odds that many model providers will want to add alts to their portfolios as a way to kind of stand out. Now, eventually, if everybody adds alts to the model portfolios, then, then you can't just stand out on asset class exposure, but, uh, there's a long way until we get to the saturation point uh, in model portfolios uh, when it comes to alts exposure. So those are some of the two main reasons why we see it expanding. Um, and, you know, we're not starting from a great, uh, you know, it's, it's, there's no evidence that alts are an outsized uh, share of the overall investor portfolio. So there's room to grow. Uh, even if it grows to historically normal rates or, you know, even approaching what we saw at the last peak of alternatives, you know, would point to, you know, pretty robust uh, asset growth. So, you know, the, those are some of the big reasons that we see alt growing, but there are a couple risks for asset managers. I think in this arena, we've surveyed financial advisors and asked them, you know, what do you like about alts? are and, and also what, keeps you from investing in them today uh even even today with all of the talk of alternatives it's a minority position uh when we ask uh advisors do you put client dollars in alternatives uh i think it was something like 30 or 40 percent of advisors actually do that so that points to i guess more room for growth but when you ask the advisors why they point to issues like cost liquidity transparency you know, they have some pretty significant issues that aren't, I think, easily overcome. So that's one thing I would point out. The second thing I would point out, and I think this is a risk to our forecast, is um, this emergence of uh, private alternatives that exist outside the the, you know, retail fund realm. Alternatives have been a little disappointing in performance in the retail realm, in part because one of the reasons alternatives are attractive as an asset class is that they're, is because they're private and they behave differently. Well, if you make alternatives behave like public securities do, does the characteristics of alternatives change so much so that they just kind of behave like uh, other asset classes. And so, uh, you know, that's a fair knock on the retail alt strategies. Well, now we have private alts providers bringing their capabilities to the retail investor. Um, and there are lots of uh, new ways that um, uh, these private market p- players are doing so. You know, technology platforms like iCapital is a great example of of, of bringing scale. Uh, you know, providing sufficient scale for the private market provider and bringing access to the retail investor. And so, um, that platform, you know, uh, helps buyers and sellers. Uh, come together in a new way, and so alts may grow as much as we say uh, it will, but the growth may not all occur within the fund realm. You know, provided that there's more retail access to these private market solutions, it may well be that we'll see uh, you know more growth in the private segments, and that's what a lot of asset managers are preparing for. Anyway, you know, you mentioned all the acquisitions in this area. Well, a lot of those acquisitions are focused on private markets. So, you know, asset managers are positioned pretty well, uh, you know, for private markets, you know, uh, if private markets take kind of an outsized role uh, in this move to greater alternatives exposure.
0: Yeah, so I personally um, agree with this and and, uh, you know, um, even though I try to be very balanced, I, I am considerably more bullish on the private alts and the re- retailization of that space than on the traditional liquid alls, if you will in the retail realm because i think that that you're absolutely right by trying to bring it within the policy uh within the 40 act you 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 do lose quite a lot of of the 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 the, uh, the features of the alternative yes. uh, investment strategy so i think that that's a really uh good segue um uh, for us to wrap up because um so uh, I talked about pivot points, um, about uh, kind of the, the both uh, hot spots in terms of product um, uh, structure as well as uh, asset class. Um, what I was uh, kind of when uh, reading the report, what I was really fascinated by is that even though um, challenges exist for active managers, but the overall book of business is still going to be a massive near 30 trillion dollars by the end of uh, 27 um and actually um a bit of a reversal of the trend um uh, certainly a strong contribution from um organic uh, growth uh, in the form of new flows but also a a, a stronger composition uh, or a stronger contribution from the market because your our last year's forecast was um kind of by by nature tilted towards, um, uh, you know, baking in an expectation of some kind of uh, uh, market retrenchment. And now we are hopefully largely uh, we have put it behind us, even though the past few days uh, have not really proved uh, to be uh, <laughs> so. But, um, what, you know, the future is always uh, it's the, the hard, hard to predict. It's the plight of a forecaster to be wrong as often as one is right. Uh what are some 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 thoughts to wrap up uh from you in terms of what could go go wrong wrong um make our out, outlook wrong um and uh kind of what is the overall uh tone of your thinking for the next 5 years
1: Well you know we see through the glass darkly uh as a forecaster and you know this is just what we think is the most likely outcome the most likely path Uh, for the asset management industry over the next five years. But, you know, really the future has many different possibilities. And so, you know, we think of them when we come up with our forecast. You mentioned, um, you know, we think about capital markets plus organic growth, which is growth in net flows. Uh, On the latter, the growth in net flows, uh, we have a, a, you know, relatively modest modest expectations for growth, especially, you know, over the next year. Uh, One thing we noted, and this is an observation that comes from our FlowSpring software product that does lots of different things, but it also does uh, flows forecasting, uh, is that, you know, in the near term, flows tend to follow performance, fund performance. And, well, if you look at what happened over the past Year, fun performance, to put it mildly, has not exactly uh, given reason for investors who, you know, jump back into the market. We see often investor uh, interest lags performance, so um, we think that that's probably a negative uh, in the near term, but. Uh, it's quite possible that maybe things recover more quickly. Uh, one of the reasons we think it is negative is because we think that uh, as the Fed continues its rate raising campaign, it's it's kind of a, an impediment uh, for bond investors to get back in the market. But the Fed could could stop more or could stop its rate raising campaign more quickly. Or it may well be that higher yields will entice investors, bond investors, back in the market, igniting. Uh, growth and flows. We think over the long-term bond funds will see much better flow, uh, stronger flows than equity funds just because of demographics. So that's kind of the long-term trend. We may get to that trend more quickly than than we expected. I also mentioned kind of the rise of private market alternatives, you know, as a a risk uh, to our forecast there. Um, And, you know, when we think about what is going to be the market contribution over the next five years, you know, we're looking at You're a very diverse cross-section of what other forecasters have come up with with market returns. Um, And and we're looking over relatively long periods of time working at forecasts that are five to seven years in length. And I think those are more responsive to analyzing the fundamentals and coming up with a reasonable forecast. Uh, But I think we all know um, that that, uh, market forecasts are almost always wrong. Uh, and so, you know, market behavior can can really surprise you. Um, going back several years, uh, we used capital market forecasts that anticipated kind of weak, uh, weak returns from the markets. And in years like 2021, it, we were, you know, we looked uh, completely wrong uh, because everybody, because valuations were high, everybody was expecting weak market returns. And so uh, eventually, I guess that happened. But uh, for a while, it didn't. And so um, I think that's, you know, we you, you really can't necessarily predict the market. You can't control that. And so that's why the report is really geared towards what fund managers can control rather than, you know, what they can control. And that's what the market gives them. You know, fortunately, we think the market's going to give them, give, give asset managers more than it's given them over the past five years. Uh, but Uh, You know, the real strategy is how do you get the biggest, biggest piece of the pie, however large that pie ends up being.
0: So I think that that's a that's a great uh, way to um, to wrap up. Um, I think that you're right. At 7.1 CAGR um, uh, over the next uh, five years, I think the opportunity looms large, especially because it is already a very big business uh, for the U- U.S. investment retail um, funds. Uh, but uh, it is, uh, there is a plentiful supply lined up to address that market, and it's going to be one way or another a takeaway game, which will again see some uh, asset managers capture greater uh, punch above their weight and cap- capture greater share, and others uh, probably not. So, we will observe, we will report, and we will uh, debate those issues. Um, Christopher, thank you very much. Um, My
1: pleasure.
0: Uh, as- as always, you and I could do this for hours, and I do apologize for a slightly longer forecast and for my uh, phone, alas, ringing uh, somehow through the forecast, so my apologies for that. Um, I have mercy on our listeners, so I will wrap it up. Um, I encourage uh, our listeners to get hold of the report. Uh, there's a lot more A fascinating discussion about demographic trends, uh, segmented wealth, and uh, I found that really, really interesting. Um, Also, feel free to, to ping either Christopher or myself to chat to us about the future of the business, share your thoughts, debate ideas with us. Um, So uh, thank you for listening, for tuning in. Uh, That is a wrap for us for our State of the Union of the US Asset Management um, uh, podcast. We are already working on several new ideas and new episodes lining up some uh, great interlocutors uh, for us to share their insights. So stay tuned. Uh, Uh, Please subscribe to the podcast on your platform of choice. And as always, I encourage you to ping us with your ideas about specific topics uh, or or industry guests that you would like uh, for us to feature in an upcoming episode. Thank you. Um, And on behalf of ISS Market Intelligence and for those of you joining us for the first time this year, I wish you a very happy and prosperous 2023. Thank you.